Thanks so much for listening to the City Church Podcast. We pray that this message draws you closer to the heart of Jesus and impacts your daily life. For more resources, check out ourcitychurch.org. All right, we're in part two of a teaching series called This Big Life. If you want to turn to a person around you, just encourage them today. Let them know you have to get bigger. Go ahead and turn to somebody and tell them that. You have to get bigger. There you go. Just encourage them. Now they feel a little bit awkward about everything, but that's okay. You have to get bigger. Last week we talked about this idea of how a big life is what God has for you. Now, what does a big life mean? Well, that's exactly what we've been unpacking over the last week and we'll begin to unpack a little bit more today all the way up to Easter Sunday. What does it mean to live a big life with God? I believe that God's really going to speak to you today. So no matter where you're at, maybe it's your first time at church, maybe you've been with City Church all four and a half years of our existence. I don't know what your story is, but I do really believe that I've been praying for you, and I'm praying in Jesus' name that God would talk to you, that you don't just hear the words of a man, but you actually hear the words of God today, the words of God today that he speaks to you. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this is the New Testament. This portion of scripture was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's a, sto- it's a, a letter written to a church in modern-day Turkey, okay, the church of Corinth. It was a city at the time named Corinth, and, uh, and the Apostle Paul is the founder of this church, and he is writing to the Christians in the church to encourage them and address some of their issues, some of their struggles, and we're kind of right in the middle of the letter. We're going to pull one very important uh, kind of aspect of his teaching to them out today. Starting in verse 12. Are you ready? Everybody in the back, you ready? Our balcony friends, you ready up there? Good. Okay, here we go. Verse 12. Let's do this. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another, compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved but the one whom the Lord commends. The one whom the Lord commends. I encourage you today, uh, if you maybe you're new here, but I, either way, I just encourage you to take a minute, find some paper. We give you that little piece of paper today and maybe jot some things down as we go through this, this, uh, this passage of scripture. The title of today's sermon, if you want to kind of give yourself a title and sort of, you know, quantify everything you're going to hear today, is finally comfortable. Finally comfortable. Finally comfortable. Let's pray. God, we open our hearts up to your word today. Thank you for the chance to read the scriptures. We believe that this word is relevant to our lives. We believe that you are so superior to our intellect that God, something 2,000 years ago written in the cultural context of Corinth, has direct application to the people of God today. And so I pray that you make this come alive. I pray that you speak to us in a profound way about your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Question for you today. How much time do you spend in front of the mirror? How much time? Some of us, it's clear, we don't spend a whole lot of time 
in front of, that's okay, it's all right. And then some of us, maybe a little too much time, right? Maybe a little too much time. I don't know how much time you spend in front of the mirror. Do you remember the old, uh, the fairy tale Disney story, uh, Snow White and the Seven Doors? How many remember that one? Classic, okay, many of us do. Uh, the rest of us are lying because we all remember it. Yeah, and so uh, Snow White and the Seven Doors was a uh, classic Disney movie. I think it came out in the 30s, but, uh, but many of us have seen it through the years. And it's the story of this, this young girl and um, her stepmother is the queen. She's the princess. And the queen is very insecure about her physical appearance. So she has this magic mirror, right? And she goes to the magic mirror every day and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all, right? She asks the mirror. And so the mirror responds with, you girl, you're beautiful, right? Every single day, she, he tells the queen how amazing she is until one day she goes to the mirror and he says, you lost your slot. Snow White's prettier than you, sorry. And she is so insecure that this woman, you know, goes into this tirade and creates this extensive strategy to assassinate her stepdaughter, right? And so that's really the whole movie, her trying to kill her stepdaughter. And so we see that and we're like, come on, that's a little insecure. You're going to kill this stepdaughter just because, you know, um, the, the magic mirror said that you're not the best. And yet in one way or another, it seems that all people have a magic mirror, all people have someone, and often it's this ambiguous someone or something that we allow to inform our sense of identity, okay? And so each of us have been constructing this sense of identity since we were born. And we've been developing an understanding of our identity, and very often we have some magic mirror that helps us define how good we are. For some of us, it's based on appearance. And you see a magazine cover and you say, I'm not as pretty as her. Or I'm just as beautiful as she is. Or I'm just as handsome as he is. For some of us, it's the affirmation of your dad. For some of us, it's the praise of your boss. But each of us has a magic mirror. A magic mirror that we look to. I found this out that uh, the mirror was created by human beings approximately 8,000 years ago. In fact, as far back as we have in human history, people have been creating mirrors, all right? That's incredible to me because that's about 2,500 years before the wheel was invented. So the wheel, apparently, is not a high of high as a priority as the mirror to the human race. We are so committed to the mirror because we long to know what we look like. And we long to know what we look like because every one of us in the room, and at other locations as well, and those watching online, every single one of us is trying to answer a fundamental question. And some of us don't realize we're even trying to answer this question, but I can promise you subconsciously, you have been wrestling with this question your entire life. And the question is simple, and you may already know what it is. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And our hope is that if we could get a good look at ourselves in the mirror, maybe it will inform us about who we are. Now, the interesting thing about Snow White and the Seven Doors is it's really a story of identity because Snow White flees the insecure queen who wants to kill her because she's more beautiful, and she finds the dwarves, right? And of course, we praise the dwarves because they don't want to kill her, and they seem very nice, and, and we, we condemn the queen, but ultimately, they're really asking the same questions, even though one is going about it in a bit of a dark way, but, but they're asking the same questions because when she meets the dwarves, they have established their identity based upon what they're good at or what their personality is like. In fact, they've named themselves names that are built upon a specific identity, right? So you've got doc, that's what I do. I'm a doctor, so I define myself through my profession. 
And then you've got grumpy. That's what you do if you're from New England, right? Grumpy. And so grumpy's there, happy, sleepy, beautiful, uh, uh, dopey, of course, bashful. Now, dopey, that one's a little not PC. We can't call anybody dopey anymore, right? So we'd call him emotionally challenged or something like that, but certainly not dopey, but, but this was 30, so you could do things like that. And so these guys, were they, they, they were defined by their abilities, by their temperament, by their personality, by their skill. And so fundamentally, the queen and the dwarves are all trying to answer the same question. It's who am I? Who am I? And how do I build an identity? Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's incredible how wise the Bible is. How wise the Bible is. Paul gives us in one verse the building blocks that all human beings use, whether consciously or subconsciously, to construct their identity. I want to show it to you in verse 12. He says this. He says, not that we dare to classify. Everybody say classify. Come on, have a little fun with me there. Or compare. Say compare. Or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. Classify. What does it mean to classify? Classifications are one of the classic ways that human beings discern themselves, learn our identity. We create classes. It's been going on since the beginning of human history. You look at like medieval Europe, for example, and you had the monarchy, you had the nobles, you had the knights, you had the merchants, you had the serfs and the peasants, each a specific class. You look at ancient India and a very consistent similar pattern came up where each person was a particular class and I could know something about you once I knew your class, right? And so there's dauntless, there's abnegation, there's airy... All right, forget it. Anyways, all right, some of you, it doesn't matter. And so there's all these different classes that we create, right? And it's very obvious. And so in our culture, in our generation, we have classes just like they did back then. We classify people by race. We say, oh, she's a black woman. He's an Asian man. And we see people through the lens of race. We classify people by occupation. And we say, okay, he works at the gas station. She works as a doctor at Yale. She works, and we see people in specific classes based upon where they work. We classify people by their physical appearance. And we say, this individual is beautiful. This individual is not as beautiful. We classify people by their intelligence. And we say, what did you get on your SATs? Did you take the SATs? Right, And we then classify you based upon your intelligence. What's your IQ? What's your number? Right? In our culture, we also have symbols. We have symbols that classify people. And so I wear a certain watch, and it puts me in a class. I dress a certain way, and it puts me in a particular class. I drive a certain car, and when I get in my car, I feel important. Because it's a, I live in a certain home, and I have a particular home that I live in, and it speaks about my, I went to a particular school. I went to a particular school, and it puts me, it puts me therefore, in a unique and specific class. See, we're classifying in all different sorts of ways, whether we realize it or not. And then uh, we begin to compare, okay? And so first we start classifying. Now, you may not realize you've been doing this, but whether you realize it or not, since the day you were born, you've been generating unique classes. And as you meet another individual, you immediately, the data kicks in, and you're creating a backlog of classifications about them. And so you're saying, okay, they are wealthier, and then they are, they are beautiful, and they are intelligent, or they are, and you're, you're cla- oh, they're white, and they're, they're, they're black, and, they're, and you're creating all these different classes. The moment you meet them, your brain kicks in, the data pops out, and you start classifying. 
It's interesting to watch two people interact for the first time and how they are classifying each other, whether they, oh, what, job, what do you do? Oh, that's what you do for work, class. Oh, okay, how old are you? Oh, that's how old you are, class. Oh, uh, let's go to your, yeah, we'll go out. What do you, where do you want to go to eat? Class, right? Oh, we're going to go to your car. That's your car, class. And then we begin to compare. That's the second tool for the human psyche to cultivate its identity. I've developed my class now, and I can compare. Ooh, I'm better. I'm worse. I'm not as intelligent. I'm more intelligent. And so we begin to construct our sense of self based upon classifications with others and comparison to others. And as you grow 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you have cultivated a huge backlog of data by which you discern your own identity. Classifications and comparisons. We're doing it so subtly we don't even realize it. You're doing it right now to me, even though you meant not realize it. He looks a certain way. He talks a certain way. You're classifying, you're comparing. Classifying and comparing. We're all doing it all the time. I remember just this past Christmas, some of my friends bought me some sneakers for Christmas. They were sneakers that they knew I wanted. They were bright white high top sneakers. Maybe I'll wear them next week. You can check them out. But you know, I, I liked them. I mean, as soon as I bought them, I was like, dang, these are sweet. Thanks, man. And it was a very sweet present of that. You know, they're nice sneakers. And, and I like sneakers. And so, you know, it was fun for me to get these bright white high top sneakers. Now I'm in a unique class. I am in the bright white high top sneaker class. Okay. And so uh, I just a few weeks ago, I was on vacation in Florida and I got to sit down with uh, a now a friend, someone I didn't know at the time who is just planting a church in Florida. And he's got all the right tools, and I'm excited for his church plant. And I sat with him and said, listen, anything I have, I'm a church planner. I love planting churches. Anything I have to help you, any resources, just let me know. It would be our joy up in Connecticut to help a church plant in Florida. Anything I can do. So we're talking, everything. And as we're sitting there at the coffee shop, I realized, dang, he's got white sneakers too. He's in the bright white high top sneaker club. How cool is that? We're like united in the bright white high top sneaker. It must be like a church planner pastor, the cool pastor thing. Like, that's awesome. And then as I saw his sneakers, I realized, hold on a second. They're a little different than mine. His, his bright white high top sneakers has a, has, a, has, a, has a Jordan symbol on the tongue. And all of a sudden I was like, dang. I think his are nicer. I think they're a little, little better than mine. I started lusting over his black, his white, bright, high top. And see, it's interesting. Come on, you liar, you do it too. It's interesting how these things just sneak in. These little random irrelevant things. And there's people in the room. In fact, I would say every one of us in the room that you've built your identity on a whole host of data that you've been collecting for your entire life on classifications, comparisons, classifications, comparisons, classifications, comparisons. And there's many of us who are here today that you're so tangled up that you don't even know why you're stuck in that addiction. You don't even know why you're bound in that pattern. You don't even know why you feel empty inside. And it's because you don't know who you are. Dang, I'm preaching good. Nobody class. It's all right. I don't classify. Now notice, this is very important. Paul in this passage does not say you are evil for classifying and comparing, right? Instead, he does something unique. 
He says, you're, you're classifying yourself with others and comparing yourself with others, and it's not the classification that's wrong, and it's not the comparison that's wrong, it's how you're going about it. And so it's not that you're evil for classifying or comparing, it's the way in which you are doing it is unwise. Or without understanding is this particular translation. He says you're doing this whole construction of identity thing without understanding. See, the classifying and the comparing is not bad. But how you have done it, that's the problem. So how should a person build their identity? Well, let's figure it out together. Because verse 13, he starts to give us the building blocks of a godly, healthy, whole identity. Verse 13, take a look at it with me. He says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regards to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. First thing I notice there is that word boast. Boast, like, isn't boast bad, right? Like, when I hear the word boast, don't you think about something bad? Like, nobody can boast good, right? And so in our culture, in our context, we hear the word boast and we say proud, arrogant, right? So how can you boast and, and do it right, right? And what Paul is saying here is he's saying there's actually a good boasting and a bad boasting. That word in the original Greek could also be translated glory, in other words, he's saying there are things that you should glory in and there are things that you should not glory in. The evil way of glorying or boasting is in self, is in self-promotion, is in you know, puffing up your chest, trying to impress, comparing to others, uh, classifying others. That's the wrong way to boast. But he says there's a healthy way to boast. Well, what are we supposed to boast in if we want to build a solid, godly identity? Well, it tells us a few verses later. It says in verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in glory in the Lord. If you were with us last week, we talked about how the big life begins when we see what is already ours. That you can't live an expansive, broad, big life if you don't see what's been given to you by God as a follower of Christ. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you are going to have opportunity before you leave this room to receive the most important, I'm not joking, the most important gift ever received. But if you are a follower of Christ today, then you believe by faith that Christ has reconciled you to God, that you're right with God. And if you're right with God, then you've received three massive gifts that we talked about last week. We talked about the positional blessing, that God views me in the position of his son. Therefore, I am blameless and perfect in his eyes. We talked about the paternal blessing. You remember this? Some of us, uh, kind of a little bit. The paternal blessing says that God views me as his daughter or his son. He views me as he being my dad, not my judge. And God views me that way. And so certainly he won't treat me like a slave if he sees me as his son. The paternal blessing. And then we talked about the power blessing. The power blessing said that already latent within you is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit within you is all the power of God. Therefore, all the power of God lives in you. And if all the power of God lives in you, when you see what's already yours, you can break free from the things that have held you back. That's what we talked about last week. Okay, now that's all incredible. And it becomes for us the foundational building block of our identity. Now, what we're doing here is we're creating a new class, a new class of person, not race, not um, income, not uh, house, not any of those things to classify. God is saying, no, 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 classifying is not wrong. Just doing it with those aspects of life is wrong. A new class should determine your identity, and it begins with his love. His love is the foundational building block of your identity. So I understand that there is a God in this world who loves me, and that changes everything. 
that God loves me. Now, if you're here today and you don't believe that, then I believe that God's spirit is speaking to you even right now, that he would reveal to you that that is in fact true. And that simple truth changes everything, no exaggeration, everything about life. That there's a creator God who's not angry at you, who's not distant from you, but in fact has his hands reaching out to you. In fact, I would say that if you're a follower of Christ or if you're not a follower of Christ, every major issue of your life can be traced back to the fact of whether or not you're confident that God loves you. Because it changes everything. God loves me. God loves me. His love becomes the foundation. And now I see myself as a citizen of heaven and it becomes a new class, a new class. I've experienced the, the positional blessing, the paternal blessing, the power blessing, and I know his love. And then he says in verse 13, check it out, we'll not boast, that's all about his love, beyond limits. Everybody say limits. Limits? No. We don't like limits. My mama said I could be the president of the United States if I wanted to be. Right? We grow up in a culture that says, listen, you can do anything. You can be anything. There's no limits. Whatever you put your mind to, you've heard that, right? In element, whatever you put your mind to, you can achieve. Guess what? No, you can't. You can't. You can't. The scripture teaches very clearly that you have limits. That you have specific God-given limitations. You have limitations that are actually given to you by God. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that most people who are frustrated in life, most people who are insecure about their identity, are individuals who have not discerned and embraced the God-given limits for their life. And so you're living a life pursuing something that you'll never be great at because someone, maybe it was your dad, your uncle, a TV show you watched, put the idea in your mind that you should do that, but it's never been you. And you're not comfortable. And you're wondering why. I'll just give you a little example from my life. In my early days, I was convinced that I was going to be a professional athlete, okay? Professional athlete. It was so deep in my heart, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional athlete. Every day I would think about it. Every day I would prepare for it. Every day I would practice. Every day I would read statistics. I would try to learn how to be a professional. And this went on for years. I told my mom that I was going to be a professional athlete. Actually, yesterday, I was at a a basketball game. My, My middle son, Noah, scored 18 points in his basketball game. He's seven. He's a beast out there. It was awesome. You can like go congratulate him later. But anyways, uh, yeah, you can clap for now. But, uh, but he scored eight. He, just, he, was, he was so good, they put him on the other team for a quarter just so that they could kind of even things out. I mean, it was awesome. It was really cool. But anyways, right in the middle of the game, my mom leans over to me and she goes, I don't think you ever scored that many points in one of your games. I was like, dang, mom, thanks for reminding me. That's awesome because I really wanted to be a professional athlete and it didn't really work out and you just rubbed it in. That's awesome. But I had to to come to a conclusion. I'll never forget. I was so committed to this and I couldn't even get a spot on the varsity team as a a junior going into my junior year, which is not a good sign if you want to be a professional athlete. I kept telling myself, Jordan got cut. Jordan got cut. It wasn't the same. All right. It wasn't the same. But, uh, but, you know, I was so committed to it. I'm just being honest. I was so committed to it. and, uh, And it actually, I became a Christian as a teenager and then I was preparing for my junior year of sports and, um, and I got injured right before summer camp. Right before the summer camp, I cut my feet up uh, playing frisbee with friends, and I had to sit on my back for a week with uh, stitches in my feet. And I remember sitting on the back and uh, sitting on my back watching TV while my friends were all at camp, you know, figuring out the plays for the upcoming year and everything else. And I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me, and He was like, "Do I have your attention now?" Because I've been trying to tell you that I want to redirect your course, but you're just pushing in an area where I've given you limitations. You're not going to be on the New York Knicks and tell tell everybody about Jesus. That's not going to be the plan. Gotta go with plan B because it's better for you. And so I had to embrace that limit. I'm serious. And I had to say, okay, God, then what do you want me to do? I got involved in music. 
I got involved playing music, and before I knew it, the music group I was with started uh, getting invitations all over the world, and, and we're, we're playing music, and I'm singing, I'm playing guitar, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible, this is awesome, but little by little, the bigger places we went, the stronger uh, opportunities we had, pretty soon people would be like, hey, uh, you're, you're a good singer, but do you think, you think you could preach instead of sing? And I'd be like, well, sure, but yeah, do you want me to do both? Or yeah, well, actually, you can just preach if you want. And it was like, oh, uh, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm experiencing another limit. So if you want to build your identity, you begin with his love, and then you embrace his limits. His limits. And as you embrace his limits, you start to steer closer and closer and closer to who God has you to be. Now, God has moral limits for you. And some of us see those moral limits as constricting. You say, if I follow those moral limits of sexuality, those moral limits of finance, those moral limits of right and wrong that the Bible outlines, listen, it's going to limit me. I'm not going to be who I am. Friend, what you don't realize is that those things are not who you are. They're just how you are. And if you would turn to God and embrace his limits, he would steer you on a course that would actually reveal your real identity. Oh, that was good. That was from the Lord right there. And then there's limits in your ability, limits in your ability, things you're going to be naturally good at. See, we live in a culture that says, if you're not good at math, work harder at math. And God says, if you're not good at math, get by, but focus on art, because that's why I made you. Get by, don't fail math, but, but don't go crazy and think you're a loser because you can't do math. Focus on the way I've wired you. Focus on the supernatural way that I have created you. And so we can't be great at everything, but God has an invitation for you to be great. At something. Let's look at verse 13 because we're going to go a little deeper here. His love, his limits. Verse 13. We'll not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence. Did you say influence? Influence. The area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. The area of influence. I heard one preacher call this the grace zone. And I like that. The grace zone. A sphere of influence uniquely designed for me. God has assigned me, think about this, assigned me a specific, unique area of influence. An area of influence that's a combination of all different unique parts of who I am. Now, this may be a job or it may not be a job. It may be your official title or it may not be a title, but it's a combo of your talents, of your history, of your past, of your pain, of your passions, of your location, and they all come together to create a unique and specific sphere of influence that only you have. This is how the apostle put it in another passage. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, Only let each one live the the life which the Lord has assigned to him. God has a specific life assigned to you. And to which God has called him for each person is unique and is accountable to his choices and conduct. Let him walk in this way. This is the rule I make in all the churches. What is he saying here? He's saying that God has created for you a lane. And if you want to develop your identity, you must begin to discern first his love, and then his limits, and then his lane. You've got a highway with a lane that only you can drive on. You see how this undermines all comparison. 
Because if it's a lane that only you can drive on based upon his love and his limits for you, then there's no way for you to compare to anyone else. And so a person at your job may have two or three of the same gifts as you, but you don't realize that you're a hundred billion combos of gifts, all these little nuanced things, your history, your past, your, your talents, your abilities, your age, your race, all these different things that God has put together to make uniquely you. And you are the only one on planet earth that has that unique and specific grace on your life. Therefore, for it's only you that can fulfill the call that God has for you. So there's no sense in comparing to anyone else because no one else has the call that you have. And you might say, amen, I believe that. Then why are you still staring at that other Instagram feed? Wishing that you had that kind of a life, that kind of a person, that kind of a husband, that kind of a car, that kind of clothing. On and on and on. Don't you realize God's given you a grace? He's given you a grace zone, a unique lane. And so you're able to cultivate, come on, I'm talking from experience because God's doing a work in my heart and I'm on a journey with you. You're able to cultivate a new class where you can say, my classification is not based upon my gender, my race, my age, my net worth. It's not based upon any of those things. My class is based upon his love, his limits, and his lane for me. Therefore, I've constructed in my own mind a sense of identity that is built on those three realities. And then we have this comparison tendency. I want to compare. So who do I compare to? Who do I compare to? There's two people that God gives you the ability to compare to because you all long to compare. So do I. There's something inside of us that longs to compare. Where do we redirect that energy? He says, don't compare to your brother because he's in a different lane. Don't compare to your sister. Don't compare to your dad or your uncle or your coworker. Don't compare to them. I'm going to give you two people to compare to. I want you to compare yourself to Jesus as the model for where you're going. And I want you to compare yourself to yesterday as the journey from which you've come. Compare yourself to Jesus. Compare yourself to yesterday. Compare yourself to Jesus. Compare yourself to yesterday. Learn Jesus. You read the Gospels and you find he is an individual like no other. He's an individual that had this incredible confidence, yet this deep humility, this passion for others and this compassion for others, this stern sense of commitment, and yet this gracious love, this individual who was like no other. God says, compare yourself to Jesus and then compare yourself to yesterday, and you fulfill the ambition to compare, and in fulfilling that ambition to compare, something starts to happen inside of you. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, he's saying all the time you spent investing in beholding yourself, trying to figure out who you were, reinvest that in beholding Christ. And if you will spend that time and energy beholding Christ, little by little, the glory in your life will increase because you start to discern who you You like my jacket? Thank you. Those of you who don't, there's another church for you. (laughs) I've had this jacket, I think, I think 14 years. I'm serious. I mean, that's a long time to have a piece of clothing, right? I got this jacket when it was cool, this jean jacket. Yeah. And then I went through 10 years of wearing it where it was not cool. I stuck with it, just held out. And now it's cool again. People come up to me and say, hey, that's a nice jacket. Where'd you get it? I'm like, I don't even know. I've had it so long. It's like a part of my body. I don't even know if I've ever washed this jacket, to be honest. Like, I mean, I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have. But, but uh, you know, it, 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 it's so comfortable, you know. Have you ever been in a situation where um, you had to dress up in a particular type of clothing that you're not, you know, passionate about? And so maybe you had to wear a tuxedo or a suit or a real special dress, and you get home and you're like, get this thing off of me, right? 
because I want to get in something that feels comfortable. Well, to me, this jacket is like that. It's just like, it's so, com- it's, it's so easy, you know? It's, there's an ease about it. There's a comfort to it. I've had it for so long. I've worn it so many times. It's like it moves with my body, you know? It's like home. See, when you begin to understand that the classifications you've been using are false, and you embrace his love, his limits, and his lane, and then you begin to realize that the comparisons you've been doing with your neighbors and their car and their house and blah, 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 and their Instagram feed and what do they have and what about Facebook and all that silliness. And instead you say, you know what, I'm going to compare myself to Christ. I'm going to compare myself to yesterday. You start to find your unique grace zone. And when you find that unique grace zone, there's an ease. There's a comfort. There's a, a simplicity to life where you can say, wow, I'm, I'm finally comfortable. I'm finally comfortable in my own skin. I'm finally comfortable in, in who I am, in what God's called me to be. I don't have to prove myself. I don't care what the magic mirror says. I don't care what the people say or don't say. I'm at ease with myself. And I'll tell you, when you begin to live at ease with yourself, embracing his love, accepting his limits, and discovering his lane for you, I am telling you, you just look different in life. People begin to say, what, what, what is it about that guy? He just seems so at ease. He's not worried about what the boss says. He's not worried about the layoffs. He's not worried. What is it about? What is it? He doesn't seem to posture. He's not buying the new car so everybody's impressed. What is it about that guy that just seems so confident and so comfortable? And you could just say, man, it's my jean jacket. It's who I am. Because I know who my God is. See, Paul was un- unapologetic about his sphere of influence. He knew who he was. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that beautiful? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. In other words, what he's saying here is grace did not inspire inactivity. I discovered my unique sphere of influence and it didn't inspire in me lethargy or inactivity. Instead, it inspired a passion to work harder and harder. And as I worked in my grace, as I worked in my grace, I discovered that there was a power beyond my ability to do what I was called by God to do. There's, I'm telling you, I'll just use myself as an example. I didn't know I was going to be a preacher. I didn't know God called me to this. And yet when I start preaching, there's a grace from God. And it's not Justin, it's not practice, it's not planning. It's the Holy Spirit. And it just seems like it's effortless because I realized that God called me. Man didn't call me. It wasn't Justin's plan. It wasn't Justin's strategy. My friend, what I'm telling you is that God's given you a unique grace. That you have a unique zone, a sphere in which God has uniquely wired and designed you. And when you begin to live in that sphere you realize that it's almost effortless, that God begins to do things through you, in you, and with you that you never plan because it's his plan. It's his plan. See, I'm convinced that Paul understood something. You look at Paul's life, the impact that God used him to make, and he understood something. I'm not talking about a job, an occupation, a title. No, no, this goes way deeper than that. This is about who you are, the combination of all your various aspects and gifts, and a comfort with that. Verse 15 and 16, look at what Paul knew. Check this out. It says, we do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope, hope, look at that word hope. I have a particular and unique hope because I understand how this works. That's what he's saying. But our hope is that as your faith increases, now he's speaking to the Corinthian church. Paul's unique grace was that he was an apostle. He was a church planter. He knew that that's what he was supposed to do. Now, 
Paul did not always know that. If you know the story of Paul, he tried to be a religious elite. He tried to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He tried to be a big shot in the world. He tried to excel beyond others, and he realized that it was hollow and empty, and his soul still didn't know who he was. He was comparing, he was classifying, and yet he still didn't know. God had to knock him off his horse, literally, and show him that that wasn't God's best for his life, but that God had uniquely wired him to plant churches and to change the world through the growth of the church. But he says, he says here, we don't boast beyond the limit of our labors, but our hope is that as your faith increases because Corinth Corinth was in his grace zone, right? Our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. What did Paul know and why did he give himself so passionately to this mission? You can jot this down if you'd like. Talking about the big life. Your life gets bigger when you serve in your circle. Your life gets bigger when you serve in your circle. See, as you begin to embrace God's love for you, and some of us are stuck there, and then you begin to embrace God's limits for you, and you say, God, you know what? Your moral limits, I'm gonna accept them. God, you know what? Your, uh, your uh, skill limits, I'm gonna accept them. And you begin to embrace God's limits for your life. And then you say, okay, God, Show me my unique lane. What am I supposed to do? What, am I, what, what do you want of me? And how do you figure that out? You just start serving and serving and serving. And then as you begin to serve, that grace zone becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And so you begin to work the grace and work the grace and work the grace. And you keep doing it. And what Paul found is that if I just commit myself to the grace that God has given me, my circle grows. And so for Paul, he realized that God had called him to plant churches. So he started in Damascus. That's where he met Jesus. And God gave him influence in Damascus. And so he moved on to Antioch. And God expanded his circle of influence into Antioch. And then he moved to Galatia, Macedonia. And then finally came to Corinth, which is where this letter was written. And so God expanded. And he understood if I'm just faithful to invest in the people of Corinth, God's going to expand my circle again. And so he did, in fact. And he went to Ephesus in Rome. And on and on and on. And so Paul's circle went from one man in one city impacting people. But he knew God had put a sphere of influence in him that was to be broader. But did he try to go out and do it on his no, 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 no. He was just faithful to serve in the sphere that God gave him. And because, oh, this is good, he was faithful to serve in the sphere that God gave him. God grew his sphere. And his sphere got bigger and bigger. And Paul was so faithful to serve in the sphere that God gave him that you step back 2,000 years and ask the question, how big is Paul's sphere of influence now? Only to realize that here in Connecticut, we're reading Paul's very words. His sphere of influence continues to expand. Because he was faithful. I wonder who you compare yourself to all the time. Some of us in the room, you're comparing yourself to someone who has no idea you're even comparing yourself to them. Some in this room, you've classified yourself. Oh, no, no, I'm an addict. Oh, no, no, I'm a cheat. No, 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 I'm a failure. You have all these classes for yourself. Some of you, you've built your identity on, you should see the car I drive. You should see the clothes I wear. You should see the girl I'm with. You should see on and on. I wonder what you classify yourself with. wonder what fragile building you've constructed your identity on. Because I can promise you one thing, the day will come where it falls. The day will come where it falls. And you'll wrestle with the reality that I, I, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who I am. But today you have an opportunity to embrace his love. 
Today you have an opportunity to discover his limits. And today you have an opportunity to begin to see his lane for you. And then you can just be finally comfortable. Comfortable in who you are and who God's called you to be in what he has for you. Not comparing to the person next to you. Free. That's his plan. Today. Would you stand on your feet with me? Would you just honor God and just stand on your feet? I wonder what God's saying to you today. I wonder where God is trying to get your attention. Maybe you're stuck on the first step. Maybe you're not convinced that God loves you. We'll hear the voice of God today. He does. He's speaking it right now to the, to the shell of your heart, to the, to the artillery you've put around your heart, to the wall that you've constructed over the years to describe God as something that he never was. And he's knocking right now. He's saying, "That's not no, 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 that's not who I am. Let me prove to you that I'm a God of love. Let me prove to you that I'm a God who cares for you. I put on human flesh. I lived a perfect life. I became a substitute for you. I died a death I did not deserve to become your ransom for sin. I suffered and I rose from the dead to prove to you that your debt was paid, that your sin was forgiven, that the darkness in your own heart could be supernaturally, surgically removed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to set you free. I'm here to make you blameless. I'm here to forgive your sin. I'm here to make you right for eternity with your creator. I'm here to give you peace. I'm here to give you life. I'm here to show you patience. I'm here to show you joy right here right now he's calling to you it supersedes the intellect and goes deeper than the emotion his spirit calls to you right now I know because he's called to me if you're here today and you're far from God friend you don't have to be you've got all your religious practices but you don't know God you don't have peace in your soul you don't have assurance in your heart. You don't have to live your life wondering who you are, trying to name yourself, sleepy or dopey or doc. You don't have to ask who the fairest of them all is. That doesn't need to be the way you live. You can turn to Christ, and it's in him we find who we are and what we're living for. And he's calling you right now. It takes repentance. That means to turn from yourself because you can't hold on to self and God at the same time. You have to dare to believe that in losing yourself, you'll find yourself. And you have to believe. You have to believe in the gospel, the good news of Christ, that he truly does love you and died for your sins. And it's that little step of faith and that opening of your heart that changes everything. I just want to be honest right now, you and me, honest before God. Are you right with God? Are, are you, listen, no manipulation, honesty between you and God. Are you right with God? not my voice that you hear right now. If you hear that thing on the inside, that's his voice speaking to you. Would you do something today? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? All across the room, everybody here, let's just take a moment and close our eyes. Close your eyes right now, and I want you to consider that question. Are you right with God? Do you need to be reconciled to God today? Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need to have confidence in your heart that he's with you? Do you need to turn your life over to him? Because this is your moment to do it right now. This is your moment right here, right now, to say yes. It's just a step of faith. That's really 
as complicated as it is. If you're here today and you say, Justin, God's talking to me. I, I I need to take that step of faith and say yes to Jesus. Would you stick up your hand right now? Go ahead, just stick up your hand right now. Say, that's me. God bless you. Put your hand down. You put your hand down. God bless you. You put your hand down. You put your hand down. Anybody else? Say, that's me. God bless you. You put your hand down. Anybody else? Say, that's me. That's me. I need to try. I need to put my faith in Christ today. I, I need to surrender. Thank you, God. Maybe you didn't come expecting to get here, and yet here we are. Here we are. With your eyes closed, I just ask you in this moment, to pray a prayer with me. And these are not magic words. These are just an honest declaration of surrender. And you can whisper this to God today. Just say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I come to you just as I am. And I surrender. I believe in your death and resurrection. And I receive forgiveness of sins now make me new fill me with your spirit I place my faith in you in Jesus name For more information and resources, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.